We're going to be reading as our scripture passage this morning from Romans chapter 6, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through chapter 8, verse 2. And we'll be reading from the letter of Romans here, chapter 7, page 1755. Before we do that, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do offer our prayers with uh, excitement, with joy that you have come and that you continue to come into our lives as the one who rescues us from slavery to sin. We thank you that we can recognize that, take hold of that again by faith, and that the joy of knowing your living presence in us would continue to guide us and lead us. Lord, may your word Again, open our hearts, touch our hearts, fill us with the assurance of salvation and the joy of your grace to us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. In Romans, uh, it has already mentioned in chapter 6. If you look back to chapter 6 and verse 16 there, It says, uh, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are the slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he's been talking about this sense of, of, of slavery to sin and the need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from slavery. Also verse 22 in chapter 6, but now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, then you reap the benefits of that. So he has is, he is got this in mind, the reality of, of, of slavery to sin, but, but Jesus comes and in his death and resurrection, he rescues us. So we are going to begin in verse uh, 14 of chapter 7 where it says again, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And then he explains what that slavery to sin is. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me, that that slavery to sin. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It is sin or that slavery to sin living in me that, I, that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is, there, is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner, a slave of the law of sin at work within my members. And then he says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? And that's our text. 
And then the joyful response, thanks be to God through uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. First two verses of chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law, the slavery of sin and death. So we're going to reflect on this wonderful truth this morning, this Palm Sunday. People of God, as we reflect on God's word this morning, we want to let it guide our understanding. And as we do so, we recognize it's Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes as king. And, and what does that all involve? What does he as king come to do? He comes to set us free, to rescue us. And so that is the reality we're going to be looking at, celebrating Good Friday, uh, the reality of our sin, and then Easter Sunday, the reality of Jesus setting us free. The glorious resurrection. In our preparation for that, uh, we have been uh, wondering and looking at uh, what does all of this mean exactly? And God's word in Romans 7 tries to explain it to the believers then and for us today. What is all involved in Jesus coming as king? Central to that hope is, is, is his death and resurrection. And so we have it here as well in Romans uh, chapter 7. Uh, I didn't begin reading at the beginning of the chapter, but in verse 4, he, he ties it in again to Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, that we also have died to the law through the body of Christ, the death of Christ, that we might uh, belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We have that, that sense of, of Jesus' death and resurrection is, is clearly part of what's being talked about here. And that, again, in verse 14, and that we are, we are sold as a slave to sin. So that's why Jesus had to come. That's the reality that he has come to face in his power, in, in his love, that he wants to free us from that slavery. That's the picture before us. To, to say it uh, more commonly, like, like we've been sold out. We have been uh, sold into slavery through the deceit of the devil and our will, our emotions, our intellect, our energy. Everything about us is, is compromised. We are not able to do what is right, even though we know it. Romans 7, verse 15 to 17, describes that struggle. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And he goes on to talk about that. He goes on to, to reflect, too, that, that I, am, I am controlled somehow. I am, I am not my own master. I can't just do everything right and good and proper that I would want to do. That reality, 
that deep down we would know what is right. God's word informs us what is right. God continues to speak into our lives, but we, we struggle. It's, it's hard to do that. And why is that? You think we're, we're smart people. Smart people do the right thing. Smart people just know and do. And that's, that's just the way it should be. But, but it's not. Things get mixed up, messed up, and we end up doing what we know is not right. And so that reality is, is, is powerfully expressed here. It goes back and forth. Uh, I know it, but I don't do it. I should, but I don't. The Bible is trying to communicate to us in different ways the reality of sin in us and in this world. And so we've been looking at, at some of the ways the Bible does that. The Bible uses words like ransom. And so, so we look at, at the fact that, yeah, we, we have been taken hostage by God. And, and Jesus comes to free us by his sacrifice. We've looked at, at the sense of healing, that, that sin is an illness in us. And Jesus comes as the great physician to make us uh, whole, to heal us. We looked last week at, at the sense of, of uh, the war against death and that Jesus comes to conquer, to give us the victory over death. That's a real sense of, of sin in our world. And today, to think of, of slavery and that we are rescued, rescued from slavery to sin. That's what the Bible uh, wants to make clear to us in terms of, of, of what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection. And that's why that, that cry, verse 24, our text, who will rescue? Who will rescue me? To acknowledge that, that reality of sin and then who will rescue me, pointing us to God's work in Jesus. That element of rescue from slavery is another aspect of all that's involved in, in what God has done in Jesus coming and dying for us on the cross and rising victorious from the grave. So that's what we are looking at this morning. That reality is, is throughout the Bible. You see in many places in the Bible that that sense of, of slavery is, is very prominent. It begins already in the Old Testament. If you think about the reality of sin, what was sin in people's lives? Well, there's a story of a family, nice family, bunch of brothers and a father, and the father liked one of the brothers more than the other, Joseph. And he gave him a wonderful coat, and, and sin entered in. And how did that sin demonstrate itself? It says in Genesis uh, 37, verse 28, Midianite merchants came by as the brothers were with the sheep far from home. Joseph had come. And it says, the brothers sold him, sold their brother Joseph for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites 
who took him to Egypt. That's sin. That's slavery. Sold into slavery. That's not supposed to happen. Good, decent, God-abiding people shouldn't sell a brother into slavery. That should never happen. What were they thinking? What I should do, I don't do. I know what's right, but I don't do it. In fact, what's wrong, I do. And afterwards, Reuben and the other brothers felt. I've been done wrong. But it was done. How's that possible? Later on, the whole book of Exodus is about slavery. Being enslaved by Pharaoh, being burdened, uh, threatened, worked to death, killed, and God setting them free. So there's a picture of slavery. There's a picture of this is, this is what I'm caught in. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm under uh, an evil master. I need someone to rescue me. And God sends Moses and by his power frees them. Listen to what Moses says in Exodus 6, verse 6, uh, where God says to Moses in Exodus 6, verse 6, Say to the Israelites, the Lord will bring you out from under the yoke of Egypt. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. Wow! Praise God. He's going to free us by his mighty hand and outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15, that, that we remember this freeing work of God from slavery, from sin. And, and thinking, too, of a psalm like Psalm 137, where again the people were in slavery in Babylon, in the exile, and Psalm 137 says too, by the rivers of Babylon we wept. There's a lot of crying in, in this slavery. God made us for no more tears, but in, in the slavery, if, if you find yourself crying, then you know the slavery is there. You are, you are wrestling with it. You are struggling with it. This, this isn't right. This isn't the way it should be. That's all the reality of slavery that the Bible brings. In the New Testament, we read it here, Romans 6, Romans 7, but the main story, the main one that comes back to the aspect of slavery is the very brief letter of Philemon. Philemon is a letter regarding uh, a slave, Onesimus. And it's just very short. It's towards the end of the New Testament. It's always difficult to find. It's just one page. There's not even chapters. And what it says is here, verse uh, 15, first of all, and 16, uh, Paul is writing to Philemon regarding this slave, Onesimus, and he says, perhaps the reason he... That's Onesimus was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. So, so being a slave is one thing, but God wants to free us and, and, and make us brothers, sisters in Christ. In, in the story of Philemon, the, the slave Onesimus, you, you see hints in the letter, Onesimus was a slave. In that time in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves. 
There were slaves everywhere, and, and all the free people had slaves. You, you had that reality, and it was, it was difficult. Those slaves had a difficult time. There was, in this particular household, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. It's from, from the references in the letter, Onesimus stole a bunch of stuff from his master, Philemon, and he ran away. So he stole a bunch of stuff, and he ran away, and he ran to Rome. And, and the, the picture is, is one of, of Philemon as a, a citizen in, in the Roman Empire there, had every right to, to find this slave, to punish this slave. With, with so many slaves, there were very harsh punishments. And so, so this, this reality of, of Onesimus is gone, has done wrong. If, if Philemon gets a hold of him, Philemon can crucify him on a cross like this commonly done that because then all the other slaves who are thinking about stealing from their master and running away would think again so this is this is the context of of philemon and nisimus this is this is a, a very difficult situation very broken situation Onesimus goes to rome huge city his thought is i can hide in that city uh no one will find me. Philemon will not find me. I will be safe. And it's, it's, it's a huge city, spread out millions of people. He has a good chance of not being found, not being killed. Who finds him? Paul. Paul is imprisoned in that huge city. And somehow, somehow Paul finds him. It doesn't say how at all, but somehow Paul finds this slave, Onesimus, and shares with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Onesimus is found. He is found in that evil city, in that difficult situation, and he is set free. He is, he is totally free. He is free in Christ. He is no longer a slave to sin. And you have to realize how transforming that is because here, Paul writes this letter and, and he is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, Philemon is a Christian man. He's a believer in Jesus Christ too, but this is a huge step that Philemon would accept Onesimus back not as a slave, but as a brother. But this is the power of, of Jesus freeing and Onesimus' willingness to go back. Hugely, hugely evident of, of the power of Jesus transforming his life. No longer a runaway slave, but indeed free, free in Christ to go back. And it says, very, very interesting, in the letter of Philemon, verse 18, Paul specifically points to Jesus when he says, if he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to my account. 
lay it on me, crucify me instead of him. Pointing to what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price, he took the place, he freed the slave who deserved to be crucified. So that's the biblical picture. It keeps working itself out in, in these examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too. Jesus Christ on the cross set us free from slavery to sin. So in this world, the work of Jesus is to set the slaves free, to free them from their bondage to sin. Now there is, within the history of, of, of just the history of, of, of the, yeah, humanity, there is the reality that, that in, in our past history, there is a history of slavery that came to uh, its height in the 1700s, end of the 1700s, beginning of the 1800s. And there was, at that time, millions of slaves captured and sold into slavery from Africa onto plantations in the States and, and other uh, colonies. It was a huge business, a huge industry. And, and just to remind you, if, if you don't remember, John Newton, John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, was a, a slave ship captain at that time. John Newton uh, filled his, his ship with 400 slaves, had them all laid in there, and, and would take them across the ocean, and, and about a third would die, but he didn't care. And, and he would sell them into slavery. And this went on in the Christian world, among the Dutch and the English and the Spanish and the Portuguese. This was just fine. This was just life for them. And then one man, William Wilberforce, born 1759. I was born 1959. Born in 1759, he worked to bring an end to slavery as we know it. We don't have slavery in that sense today. And so his work is an interesting example of, of freeing the slaves. And I have, do we have the video clip? Uh, I have just a brief video clip that gives a quick summary of his life and his work. William Wilberforce. By the late 1700s, British slavers were capturing as many as 50,000 Africans each year and taking them to the Americas. So how did this enslavement of Africans come to an end? In the United States, it would take a civil war. In the British Empire, it would take a movement that included a man named William Wilberforce. While slavers were seeking slaves in Africa in the late 1700s, William Wilberforce was living in luxury in his family's estates in London and Wimbledon. Then he spent a few years gambling and dining with friends on the finest foods at college in Cambridge. Years earlier, he'd been fascinated by a young preacher named George Whitfield, but now all he wanted was a seat in the British Parliament. In 1780, when he was only 21 years old, Wilberforce got his position in Parliament. 
During his early years of service, William, in his own words, did nothing to any purpose. My own distinction was my darling object. Then in 1785, while on a trip across Europe, the emptiness of William's plush life began to gnaw at his soul. Finally, in the spring of 1786, following months of dark depression, William Wilberforce trusted Jesus Christ alone to transform his troubled soul. As a new believer, he thought about abandoning his political position, but John Newton, the ex-slave trader who had penned the hymn Amazing Grace, urged Wilberforce to use his parliamentary position for the glory of God. A few months later, Wilberforce received a letter urging him to work to end British slave trafficking, and he began to turn his efforts toward this goal. Now, despite his personal charm, Wilberforce was a clumsy political strategist at times. He and his friend Thomas Clarkson introduced legislation to limit the slave trade in 1789, 1791, 1792, 93, 97, 98, 99, 1804, and 1805, only to be defeated every time. Opposition to Wilberforce became so fierce that one friend feared he would be barbecued by African merchants and eaten by Guinea captains. Finally, in 1807, the efforts of Wilberforce and Clarkson combined with the news of a slave uprising on an island known as Haiti to turn the tide. Parliament outlawed the slave trade in the British Empire. The circle around Wilberforce then turned their efforts toward abolishing slavery itself. Poor health forced Wilberforce to resign from Parliament, but Clarkson and others continued this campaign. In July of 1833, three days before William Wilberforce died, it became clear that they had the votes they needed to end slavery in the British Empire. The next month, the House of Lords passed the Slavery Abolition Act. Thirty years later, slaves... So you see the life of one man after he came to an understanding of faith in Jesus Christ and, and that worked out in his whole life, free the slave. The slaves need to go free. And, and even if, if you read more fully in terms of his life, it's a fascinating if you have an opportunity just to, to see some more details of how that struggle went and how his faith in Jesus as the one who comes to free us from our slavery drove him. All those years, he, he brought a bill forward, was defeated. He brought another bill, was defeated again. People were after him. Say, you are, you are, even other Christians said to him, God, God wants slaves to be slaves. And, and that whole argument. And, and he continued, 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 and his ill health, and, and he, would, he would rise again in, in, the, in the parliament. He would say, the slaves need to be free. Christ has freed us. We need to see and, and free the slaves. It's the freedom in Christ that we are working for. And so it's, it's quite remarkable how in the end, by God's grace, that, that whole uh, mission of his life was completed. In fact, it was just three days, three days before his death. They passed that resolution on July 26, and on July 29, he died. But they, they ran to his house after the, it had passed, and they said to him, it's, it's done. The slaves are free. And that, that's, that's the message of the gospel. That's the excitement of the gospel that, that we recognize on Easter. That that slavery of sin has been set free in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You notice how John Newton is mentioned 
in uh, influencing his life too with a powerful Christian vision. And our uh, singing that song, Amazing Grace, which we'll do at the end of the message, continues to bring out that context. Jesus' death frees us from slavery to sin. Now that's all fine and good. And you can say to me the exact words of John 8, verse 33. What does it say in John 8, verse 33? Well, it says this. Jesus is telling the people there that they are slaves to sin. And they say to him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. And that's true, isn't it? We can just say, oh, you say to me, Pastor Mike, it's done. Wilberforce did it. There's no slavery anymore, right? We live in Canada, the land of the free, uh, true north, strong and free. Right? We're not slaves. We do what we want. And so the, the whole sense of, of rescue, of, of the reality of our slavery to sin has faded, faded, faded much in our understanding of this sense of the biblical message and of the gospel truth. Sadly, that doesn't change the fact that we don't recognize it nearly as much, that we are slaves to sin. And, and I could have brought in a little more here too in terms of uh, this little piece on William Wilberforce goes on to talk about the reality of slavery in our day. Right now, human trafficking, huge, huge. Men and women and children bought and sold throughout the world. And again, you think, you think, wait a minute, people, that's just plain wrong. That's just plain ungodly. That's just plain unethical. But we live in a world of slavery to sin. And so there are still people in slavery in that way. The underlying reality of the slavery to sin is all in all of us in different ways. And so we acknowledge that again this morning. Apart from Jesus, we are enslaved. And Paul himself admits it here in Romans 7 about his own life. And so we too admit the struggle in our own lives, our sinful nature. That instead of pleasing God, being holy, doing what is right and good, the old slave master sin keeps giving us orders and telling us what to do, and we do it. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, where Satan said, go ahead and eat, and they ate. We do what we know is wrong. We are not free. And I'll just give you two examples. First one is in terms of the sin of greed and covetousness. And the word is stuff. Rescue us from our stuff. There is, in, in our culture, hugely, hugely, hugely advertised, pushed, Always, 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 sinful sense of you and I, we need more stuff. We just need more stuff. 
doesn't matter what it is, we just need more of it. And that reality, we say, yes, Master, to that sinful drive. And so our houses are full of stuff. All the rooms are full, the basement is full, the closets are full, the garage is full, the shed is full, the storage unit is full. And, and we can't stop. Why, why don't we just stop? We can't stop. That's a slavery, a slavery to sin. And then the next command comes, you need bigger stuff. You need bigger stuff and bigger room so you can store more stuff. And we say, yes, master. Yes, master. Like the parable of the rich man in Luke 12, I'll build bigger and have more. And then even the sense of new stuff. The word comes down through all the advertisers, through everything. You need new stuff. Your phone is old. You need a new one. Your car is old. You need a new one. Your clothes are old. You need a new one. You need new stuff. More and more new stuff. And it's, it's Barb works at the thrift store, and, and, and they get stuff in, clothes, Brand new clothes with the tags still on. The tags have not even been taken off. Stuff has never been worn. But people needed new stuff. And they got new stuff. But they didn't really need it. So they put it in the closet. And after a while, the closet's full. So they bring it to the thrift store. Never been used. And you think, why? Why did you buy that? If you need new shoes, buy new shoes. If you need a new car, Go ahead, buy a new car. But if you don't, we just keep going. And what is that drive? What is that? What is that in us? Why don't we just say, no. It's sin. It's the slavery. And it doesn't fill us or fulfill us. It's just an empty drive. And it's something that God did not intend. God intended us to be content, to live simply, to live sacrificially, to live free from all that stuff. That stuff is a burden. To pay for it, to take care of it, to actually make a little bit of use for it. And it fills our time so we can't do the things of God. We don't need stuff. We need our Lord. A second example in our culture is quite closely tied to the text here. It's, it's fascinating, the wording. Final example, Romans 7, verse 24. If we stop reading two words before the end, wretched person, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body? Who will rescue me from this body? In our culture... There's a struggle with our bodies. We are image bearers of God. That's what God says. He sets us free from any other view of our body. He sets us free to say, too, I'm an image bearer of God. The way I look, the way I am, praise God. Hallelujah. But then the voice comes. The voice of sin. The slave master. You're not thin enough. What do you mean? Well, you're not thin enough. 
and your whole life starts to transform. I got to be thinner. And, and things of, of that nature start to enter in. And it's a sad, sad slavery. And both for men and women. What is that? What is that feeling? Well, it should be healthy, definitely. Let's be healthy, no doubt. We all want to be healthy, but there's all kinds of shapes and sizes of healthy. No, there's not. You have to be thinner. And a slave is told what to do and does it. I don't like my body. I don't like my eyes. I don't like my ears. I don't like my lips, my nose, my forehead, my hair, my hands, my feet. No one likes me because of the way I look. I don't look right. God, why did you make me this way? Too short, too tall. Who will save me from this body? That's a slavery to sin in our culture that leads to death, eating disorders and things, and a constant chaining of our souls. People are not happy, they're not free in their life. They're never free from the pressure of self-judgment. It's a sad slavery to sin. There's lots of examples. We need to be rescued. Thanks be to God. Verse 25. He sets us on the right path. Jesus breaks that power of sin. And he says to you and to me, he says, I love you. He says, I love you so much, just the way you look, just the way you are. And then our palm branches go in the air. Hallelujah. Welcome, Jesus. Somebody accepts me the way I am. Praise God. And we can go with that message to others. That's the power that sin says you need more stuff. Jesus says, I am all you need. Sin says you need to change your appearance. Jesus says, I love you just as you are. Wow. Jesus sets us free. Free to be children loved and cared for by him. The sinful burdens are lifted off, and we can live in his love and grace each day. John 8, verse 36. Beautiful verse to keep in mind. If the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. This is what we remember this morning. This is who we are, rescued. You have been rescued from sin by Jesus Christ. He has set you free from that slavery. You do not need to live that lie anymore. We take hold of the truth in his love and grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray again this morning for your central presence in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, that we take the time to look to you, to hold out to you, and that you take hold of us, and that you set aside all those things that seek to destroy us, those sinful things that drag us down, and that you lift us up in your grace so we can truly celebrate that we are your children. We can go forward in this day again, trusting in you. Help us not to listen to the sinful world. Help us to listen to you. 
Help us to be strong in faith in your word and prayer and walking with you each day even as you want to walk with us and bless us and draw us closer to yourself and to each other. Lord, we want to put our hope, our trust in you. Forgive us when we fall. Lift us up in your grace. Be our rescuer, we pray. Amen.